Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, Chris, what are we talking about on this week's show? Right, Peter, it's all about spring bulbs. Okay. In all their guises. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be looking at, uh, well, from, from daffodils to tulips to alliums to crocus. Brilliant. So, I mean, everyone always thinks of spring, don't they? And uh, when you see the, the the snowdrops coming out into flower, don't they? We all know that spring is around the corner and hopefully we'll learn a little bit about timing and uh, how to plant them and uh, some tips uh, have you got for us this week, Chris? Yeah, so everything we need to know and uh, hopefully uh, our guest, Ian, will uh, give us lots of enthusiastic talk about the varieties we should be growing as well. Yes, because we've got Ian Clark from Taylor's Bulbs, haven't we, this week? We have. And, uh, yeah, Taylor's Bulbs obviously supply the garden centre, but they supply obviously lots of garden centres. So They're a massive bulb company, aren't they? And yeah. they're a British company, another family company, and I think based over in Lincolnshire, aren't they? That's right, and not down and over towards uh, Spalding, so of those wonderful levels, obviously very compatible to our friends across the water in Holland, where, of course, they grow a lot of bulbs too. Yes. What is the perfect bulb growing sort of soil, Chris, is it? It's going to be quite light, is it? It's going to be quite sandy soil, not heavy. Certainly you won't be able to grow them very well uh, commercially on Buckingham clay, that's for, for sure. <laughs> no, too wet and heavy, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, yeah so f- fast draining is quite important and obviously good moisture retention, but not uh, certainly on the heavy side. And some, a soil which is going to warm up quite quickly as well in the spring. Okay, that's a good point, yeah, and nutrient levels, I mean, I always think of sort of bulbs as a nutrient storage device, and um, presumably we have to feed them well to get them to Mm. give us some flowers, so is it good to put some compost in the same hole that you're planting your bulb in? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's a bit of a, we're in a dilemma, because when you actually buy a bulb, you're buying a storage organ, and actually most, I would say 99.9% of bulbs already have the flower embryo in that bulb and okay. what we're trying to do is just nurture that flower out so yes the soil um, conditions are important i.e you don't want it to be particularly waterlogged but you want the soil conditions to be you know conducive for that plant to grow well so okay. yes certainly that's the most important key issue that no waterlogging and plenty of organic matter for those roots then to develop into so the bulb then develops in future years to a better better quality brilliant good point and we're delighted to be joined today by Ian Clark, business manager, OA Taylors and Sons Bulbs, over in Holbeach, Lincolnshire. Welcome, Ian. And how do we find you today? Yeah, very good, thank you. We're in the middle of our um, busiest time of the year, of course, um, with bulb harvesting and uh, packing and grading and starting to send bulbs out to garden centres. But yeah, we're, we're very well, thank you, yeah. Perfect. And yes, I'm sure, uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with the name of, of Taylor's Bulls and the, the garden centres and shops they, they visit. Um, synonymous, really, with, with uh, the, the bulb. Um, perhaps it would be good to start this podcast by looking at a little bit of the history of, of Taylor's Bulbs down in, uh, in, in Spalding. Um, could you sort of take us through a bit of a timeline of, uh, of, of the company? Of course, yeah. So um, the company was established in um, 1919, so we've just recently celebrated our centenary. That was by Otto Augustus Taylor, which is where the OA Taylor comes from. Uh So he was um, gassed in the First World War and and got given, I think they call them crown colonies, a piece of land to to grow. um, Well, originally, I think it was intended for vegetables, but he quickly 
worked out that he could make more money from growing flowers and selling them in London. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of how how the, the firm started. And then over the years, they, they acquired more land and we got into bulb growing specifically. So, I mean, in the 1950s, we used to grow tulips as well as narcissus and other bulbs as well. We're now um, in the fourth generation of the Taylors family. So um, Adam Taylor and Sam Taylor are now running the business. And uh, yeah, predominantly we grow um, daffodils. So we grow um, over 500 different varieties of, of daffodils, but probably around 60 to 65 of those are what we call main stock, so large quantities. We So we're growing those here in Lincolnshire. We're also importing bulbs from around the world. As you can imagine, mm. the majority come from Holland, but uh, also other countries as well. And then we're packing them here at Hull Beach and supplying our garden centre customers, mostly around the UK, but also Ireland. And we do a little bit of export as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm slightly off topic, but we've, obviously we've been selling your Christmas potatoes at the Garden Centre. I think we've just given to the last few packs, actually, uh, which is really good news. I mean, the diversity... Well, we've got some more if you need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I might take you up on that. Uh, no, but certainly they've, been, they've proved very, very popular. Um, I think it's three or four varieties now have been offered to gardeners. And I think that's the thing, this conception of, of what is a bulb. Um, and, and what is a you know a growing tuber in the form of, of potatoes? But perhaps if you can maybe explain how those wonderful spring bulbs are grown, especially your daffodil and narcissi. Yeah, so the, so the daffodils here that we grow in Lincolnshire, um, we grow them in ridges like potatoes, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Really, um, we like to keep our feet out of the water. So um, when when we get water, the the bulbs aren't sat underwater for periods of time um, but also a lot of the machinery that's used for harvesting and grading the bulbs and, and things is 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 crossover with potatoes which we grow a lot of as well so in the growing cycle of the bulb we plant them around well we're actually starting planting next week first ones here so middle to end of august and then those bulbs stay in the ground for two years so then we would, after two years, we would um, harvest them in, in June. And from those, then we're looking to, to dry the bulbs and then grade the bulbs. So when we say grading, what we're doing is separating out the different size bulbs. So bulbs are measured in circumference. So the smallest bulbs, which would be typically a seven to 10 centimeter bulb, they would be our planting stock for the following two years. And then the, the larger bulbs, the 12 to 14 and 14 to 16 centimetre bulbs would be what we then pack and sell to garden centres. Once we've pulled the planting stock out, we then would sterilise the bulbs, which is not chemical. That's actually done with warm water. So they get a bath, basically, which kills um, things like nematodes and soil pests, things like that before then they're dried and, and ready to plant, plant back again. Gosh, it sounds like a seamless process, but I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's lots of problems along the way, potentially. But uh, on that... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, on the, the fact that you've got, obviously, so many different varieties of, of, of narcissus and daffodils and such like, 
are those then rotated? Do you actually rotate the crops as you would as you you'd, with your arable crops? Yeah. So we, we wouldn't plant narcissus daffodils back in the same soil for seven years. So once once they've come out, it's been seven years before we would we would put that field down to daffodils again. So we've actually got about eighteen hundred acres here, um, but about four hundred of that would be daffodils at any one time. So then the other crops we we do uh, we grow predominantly potatoes is the other main big crop we do, but also um, wheat and barley, sugar beet. Um, brassicas as well broccoli things like that mm. so yeah we're growing those in a cycle to fit in with the daffodils yeah that sounds uh, that sounds like a really good way of utilizing your space and your land and making sure your crops remain healthy uh, in the scheme of things um on the uh, area of, of actually producing the, the bulbs when they end up coming into into the garden center the there are so many questions our customers uh, ask, and I'm sure I'm sure many of the listeners to our, our podcast will be asking: Are there any, especially when it comes to spring flowering bulbs, the plants, uh, the bulbs we're going to be planting over the next probably three or three months or so? Any real do's and don'ts as far as uh, getting the best from from your bulbs? Bulbs are really easy to grow. I think that's the key message. Really, they're not difficult at all. Majority of bulbs, the depth is reasonably important but it's not critical to the millimeter and even if you plant them on their side or even some of them upside down they're still going to grow our daffodils when they're planted you know we're not planting each one precisely by hand they're they're going in from a from a piece of machinery and and it's not fussy to which way up they are so um <laughs> you know they'll they'll still grow and you know the bulbs here we literally for two years we don't really do much at all to them they're, they're not they don't get watered because of the um, salt level in the water table here we can't irrigate um because we're quite close to the sea and yeah they're left they don't get fed either they're left to their own devices really but in terms of feeding if you want to feed your bulbs the best time is as after they've flowered as the foliage is dying back and a, a tomato food is is best for that because that going to be you know got the, got the nutrients in for fruit and flower rather than nitrogen for the leaves you know you don't want a lot of nitrogen so yeah yeah no that's good yeah we we certainly on on dig it we like to promote the fact that uh, tomato feed is is probably the the, the go-to fertilizer for uh, getting really good Definitely, results yeah. yeah i mean we did have a, qu- a question actually from from mrs hardy about what happens if you accidentally plant your bulb upside down? You've nicely answered that, but uh, I suppose when it comes to planting, you know, containers, and uh, where you're doing a little bit more specific, um, does there come a point where you do have to perhaps be a little bit more careful with the with the depth? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, um, the the layered planting, lasagna planting in pots is a classic type of planting for bulbs. So when we're talking about that, if you think about a lasagna where you've got your different layers. We're basically doing that with bulbs. So you you typically start with, say, tulips as your base layer and then narcissus a little bit shallower and then um, something like crocus on the top, which can, you know, they can be real shallow. And in fact, some bulbs you would plant almost on the surface with the... Mm with the tips of the bulbs coming through the soil so yeah that would be a bit but you know generally all of certainly our packets all have the 
detailed planting instructions on them and that would include the planting depth and the, and the width as well you know different the width is quite important apart from the bulbs because if you plant them too close they can get overcrowded quite quickly so yeah that's important I have to say, Ian, um, you do, do, do produce, and I think you're still producing sort of pack, mixed packs of, of spring balls where you, you give a, a range of three or four different varieties. I've often used those in lasagna plantings at home, and the, the results have been really good. Um, you know, yeah. it is absolutely foolproof planting, but the thing is you, you plant those sort of containers up your, your pot and you forget what you've put in because, of course, you tend to mislay your, uh, uh, your information and, of course, it's all a bit of a surprise. So I think lasagna planting, for all, it's, it can be a little bit tedious, I think is, this is the way to go if you've got pots in your garden, especially if you've got a smaller garden, certainly, uh, you know... Maxim- so if you choose the varieties right as well, you could have you know a good couple of two or three months of flowers potentially because Mm. you know you you can start with or some of our own daffodils would flower in certainly january and then you know you could have your crocus in february and march and then your tulips in in april and may so you know you can you can if you plan it by the flowering times you can have a long time another little tip as well um always sort of plant over the top of the bulbs with um winter bedding cyclamen winter pansies something like that so that you've got some color there on the pot you know before the before the spring um that's that's always a good thing to do mm, indeed yeah we, we tend to at the garden center here to suggest you know winter flowering pansies or violas are the, the, the go-to they they cover the soil and then of course you get that nice bit of extra color in the spring when the bulbs are you know coming to the end or just about to start into flower um although we've sort of sort of touched on it um the good old drhs many many years ago did quite a lot of research on how long you were really to leave your um your your, your daffodils and they came up with the the magical six week rule which basically meant that when the flowers started to fade you marked on your calendar on your diary or on your on your phone six weeks from that point when you could cut the plants back um have you any other sort of general rules when it comes to cutting back uh, uh, spring bulbs I think that's a good uh, that's a good rule of thumb to use. Uh, some people talk about tying off the leaves, but mm. I wouldn't recommend that really. I think if you're thinking about planting certainly daffodils in drifts in grass um, for naturalising, try and pick the earlier flowering varieties because if you pick the varieties that are flowering in April and May, and then you've got to then wait another six weeks, it's going to be a long time before you can cut your grass. So. <laughs> of yeah, so if you pick the earlier flowering ones in grass, that's usually a good a good thing. But yeah, I mean, basically, if you if you do cut the leaves off too early, that's a common cause of blindness, where the the bulb puts a stem up but with no flower, and that's because the the nutrients from the leaves haven't gone back into the bulbs to to bulk the bulb up okay. to produce its food for the next the next year. So. Yeah. Ah, right, fascinating. You're right, I, did, I didn't realise that. So, um, most bull, well, I'll say most daffodils are grown in the, the southwest, down in Cornwall in Devon. Yet, Wales claims it to be its national flower. Um, so, my question is to you: Is is it a UK native, and are, are there any other unhybridised or natural versions left or sold available to the home gardener at all? Yeah. So, the main one, um, Obvularis, which is the ten B daffodil, that's mm-hmm. often one that's talked about lobularis is the other one that's probably what you would term as the 
the native one. Mm-hmm. Obvolaris is still, we, we still sell. Lobularis we stopped selling probably a couple of years ago. It's not very widely available because the, the stocks are very weak and don't grow that well, to be honest. There is another one we sell, which isn't a native one, but it's called WP Milner. And that's um, quite similar looking to Lobularis. So although it's not actually the true one, that that's a good a good alternative one as well. Oh, that sounds good. Those are the ones to go for then. Um, what's uh, I mean, obviously all these varieties you, you bring out and obviously are introduced. Is there a particular sort of selection process for new varieties which head towards being sold in in garden centres? Certainly, I mean here at Taylor's we tend to do a few different things, but we usually send two or three of us go over to obviously Holland oftens to look at tulips and things in, in the spring. Um, and we would be taking photos and making notes of, of varieties we use. There are some sort of trade uh, trial grounds we, we visit, as well as the Kokonoff, of course, which mm-hmm. is always a, a good a good visit. Recommend that to anyone if they're over in Holland in the spring. And then we also, um, we deal with, we've dealt with a lot of the same growers for, generations really and and they will send us um, sample bulbs which we grow on trial grounds here so we can look at them and assess them as well and then we we tend to go and visit all of our growers in November as well so um, we would then talk to them about you know what they've got coming available new varieties then we can we can you know pencil those in for the for the year after or sometimes even two or three years down the line so mm. that tends to be how how we work um, with, with new varieties that sounds very exciting and that's great for the gardener then that with we the know daffodils that... yeah with the daffodils we tend to have we've always got a bank of what we call numbered varieties so where we we haven't registered them we haven't named them they're just there and then we we assess those and keep looking at them and the ones we like we grow more of and some of them get cast aside you know they might look exactly the same as another one we've already got and the same flowering time same height so we don't need need it but um and then often you know once we get enough of um of enough stock of a variety we would then look to come up with a name and, and register it with the rhs and then start marketing it so yeah mm, yeah good 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 process and uh on that side of things, um, sort of most popular popular bulbs actually sold then in the UK. What's what's your your top selling spring bulb, and maybe something for the summer as well. Oh, that we're, we're talking spring bulb, but obviously we we know from after Christmas we get our plethora of of obviously summer flowering bulbs from you. So um, yeah, could you perhaps just give us a, a couple which spring bulbs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Narcissus tetra of course, is the yep. one that everybody knows, and it's mm-hmm. still the one that by volume we handle more than you know millions and millions of those here so um that's that's by far the most popular one but a lot of the staple varieties allium purple sensation mm-hmm. again it and it's these bulbs are they're reliable they're what we call doers they just they they always perform you know you you doesn't matter what what the conditions they always do well they're good growing varieties um tulip red riding hood um, tulip angelique double pink that's always a popular one yeah, yeah, yeah. snowdrops of course always yeah. popular um yeah have you, have you seen any sort of trends over the years i mean do 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 bulbs go through phases of being 
sort of end. Do you, do you find? Sure. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Alliums with they've been used more and more at Chelsea, and they seem to have just become really, really popular at the moment um, with sort of allotment boom. Cutting flowers are popular. So tulips for cutting are quite popular. A lot of people doing cutting gardens. I would say in in summer bulbs and dahlias. Well, you know they've come from yes. sort of zero to hero. Really, they're mm. just so popular now. It's it's crazy. By far the most popular summer flowering bulb. But lilies are probably on the comeback. I would say at the moment, even gladioli as well. They mm. sort of went quite out of fashion but becoming a bit more popular and there's um some shorter flowering gladioli now which are getting quite popular they're good for smaller gardens or even pots you know that you could use them in pots so, yeah. yes which I, yeah i have done that actually some of those very uh i think it's the, is it the butterfly varieties which keep reasonably compact as well some of those are really yeah well there's bananas the ones which are the hardy hardy ones they're mm-hmm. the little small dainty ones but then we've got some newer they're large flowering gladioli but they're just shorter flowering so there's a few different varieties of those um coming on board now and they're, they're quite good so yeah that's really good yeah so uh, we were talking about obviously spring flowering bulbs of course crocus are probably up there as, as the most well, well certainly one of the first flowering probably after the snowdrops. um now i believe that saffron is derived from crocus and i just wondered if you had any any thoughts on on the, the the use of saffron from from the crocus and its possible usage as far as uh, commerce. Yeah, so um, it's uh, crocus sativus, which is the variety that you you can harvest saffron from, and it's the stamens, the orange stamens of the flower that you can um, harvest sa- the saffron. Crocus sativus is a is an autumn flowering crocus, so um, you would plant it now, really. Um, you know, in the next few weeks and they would they would flower in september and october pretty little thing in its own right like a nice um lilac flower with these bright orange stamens which make it quite quite striking really i believe there are some commercial growers of saffron in the uk in the south i think it's certainly not something we've really got involved with but um, we do supply quite a lot of crocus sativus and it's definitely our most popular autumn flowering crocus um, so, yeah, and I think am I right in thinking it, it produces its flower and then the leaves follow? Is it one of those sort of a little bit like colchicums, or am I am I going down the wrong garden path there? Um, yes, I think you might be right. So a lot of the colchicums are known as naked ladies because mm-hmm. they put the flower up before before the leaf. Um, you you sometimes even see them flowering in the packets in garden centres in late <laughs> September and. <Yep. laughs> um, that's actually not a problem at all. You know, if you can still plant them, even if they're in flower, when you take the bulb out of the packet, it's not a problem. Um, nope. They'll still flower the following year and it's no trouble at all. So, yeah. yeah, no, I'm a great fan of culture because I think they're very undervalued and we should plant more of them. So, um, yeah, all good. Now, tulips um, obviously remain a firm favourite. And, of course, they were first introduced to England in the uh, 1630s, as Tulamania swept the gardens of the wealthy Europeans. However, many tulip varieties offered these days now come as only once only flowering tulips 
from the cut flower sector. Um, do you think gardeners should be aware if tulips are once bloomers? And perhaps should that be popped on the on the packaging? Well, I mean, I, I've found the tulips I've planted, single late varieties, triumph tulips, they do, I mean, I've got some in pots, single early varieties called Royal Celebration. And it, it does come back every year, to be honest, although probably not as well, you know, not as well year after year as the first year. But there are some tulips, Darwin hybrid varieties. So, for instance, um, there's a series called um, Impression Tulips. So you've got Red Impression is a classic red tulip. Um, that's a Darwin, what we call a Darwin hybrid. And the Darwin hybrids do come back okay. better than most year after year. You've also got species tulips, um, like humilis varieties, um, Bakeri Lilac Wonder, Honky Tonk, Preston's, Tinker, those type of little ones. They, they will naturalise and come back very well year after year. So, yeah, there are, there are options there if you, want, if you want more perennial flowering tulips. Yeah, I think the thing a lot of people is that they they buy their tulips, you know, relatively inexpensive. They get a wonderful show, and sometimes it's the it's the faff of having to lift them and obviously grow them on or dry them to get them to flower for a, for a second year. I think that puts a lot of people off, doesn't it? Yeah, possibly. I mean, of course, we would say buy new ones every year, of course, but <laughs> <that's>, um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I, that's um, understandable and. Yeah. Um, yeah, personally, I, I I wouldn't go to the trouble of of lifting um, them myself. Um, I haven't got anywhere to dry or store them <laughs> no, myself, and and I'm sure many people are the same. Um, but yeah, like I say, if you choose the right ones, they yeah. they will come back well year after year. Yeah, I think I've, I think in my garden, I've tried to plant in the the open borders, lots of uh, the Darwin types, and uh, they they always seem to perform really well, sort of year on year. Which is good. Um, what any any other particular bulbs popular for thinking? If you're thinking about doing some planting over the next next sort of six eight weeks, what do you put on your on your shopping list when you you come to the garden centre? Certainly, some of the some of what we call the miscellaneous bulbs, the lesser known things, can be really um, interesting and useful. For instance, something like Nectarus gordum siculum, which is the honey lily. That's a a really nice one. It's actually um, a type of allium but it looks nothing like an allium but that that will be covered in bees and that would be um, something you'd plant in the autumn that's a, a lovely one camassias um so used a lot for meadow planting tolerant of of wetter conditions as well and fantastic stunning blue spikes flower spikes they're they're really nice what else would we say um Fritillaria, the, the, the fritillaries, I mean, the crown imperials, you talk about things coming back every year. They will come back really strong every year, crown imperials. Oh, wow. They're not the cheapest bulbs to buy. Um, you can be paying four or five pounds for one bulb, but they really do perform. Done in huge um, exotic flowers and, um, and they come back every year. Yeah, it's one of those we, we do get asked for a lot and sometimes we do get them in, in containers and obviously they're really expensive as a as a potted 
uh, bulb, um, and it's one you you tend to yeah quite easily miss if you if you're not you're not careful at this time of the year. Certainly, that's that's great. Thank yeah, you. When you're planting those, mm-hmm. um, you always plant. You we talked earlier about the right way up to plant bulbs. Now with yeah. the Crown Imperials, Britillaria Imperialis, you should always plant those on their side because they um, actually have like a hollow bit in the bulb where the where the flower would have been, and if you plant them sort of normal way up mm-hmm. that can fill with water and rot the bulbs so they're always best planted on the side oh right, oh, right. That's, a, that's a really good tip galanthamine is a yeah. chemical used in the control in, in alzheimer's drug to slow the progression of the disease and it's available in daffodils um i didn't know this it's a really interesting fact has, has taylor's sort of been involved in any of the sort of areas of, of development of this within the uh, the, the drug companies yes yeah, so the, the um Different daffodil varieties have different levels of galanthamine. Uh, I'm by no means a, an expert on this. I'm not. I'm not uh, a, a, a um, chemist. <laughs> I'm not a chemist. Um, but but yeah, different varieties have different levels. Mm. We have found that one of the varieties we grow has got very high levels of galanthamine in, and um, we have um, had drug companies contact us and buy bulbs offers you know by the ton um for for that i believe they crush the bulbs down and then extract it through water i I believe to to get the galanthamine out but um yeah pharmaceutical companies i think we used to supply some in the uk and and also um in europe as well excellent that's that's really good good to uh, to hear and yeah um long may it continue because it's obviously going to be an important uh, part of the the Alzheimer's uh, drugs course over the, over the next few years, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, moving indoors now, um, prepared bulbs, as we like to call them, um, are obviously the, the way forward when you want to grow bulbs a little bit earlier for Christmas. I suppose, first of all, I suppose we need to explain what the, the, the term prepared means to our to our listeners. Yes, typically hyacinth, you would, you would see two types of hyacinth in the garden centre. So you would have prepared bulbs, which are for indoor growing, and you would have just normal bedding or garden hyacinth. They're exactly the same bulb. They come from the same production, the same field, same growing, everything is the same. Sometimes I know when I used to work in garden centres, people used to think the prepared meant they'd been treated with chemicals, but it's not at all. It's simply a heat preparation. So they have a heat preparation, which then means that the flower in the bulb forms earlier so that when you when you then grow it at home, you put it in the, in the dark and the cold and it produces its roots, it will flower earlier than just a standard, a standard garden bulb. But, you know, prepared hyacinths, you can plant them in the garden just the same. They're still hardy as well. So if you, if you grew hyacinths in a bowl in the house you could then plant them outside after they flowered and they'd they'd flower the next spring in the garden no problem so yeah yeah okay there's different bulbs you can grow indoors of course so um hyacinths is a classic because they're um they're fragrant very showy big flowers but you know paper whites is probably the next most popular amaryllis of course but also tulips muscari other narcissists as well you can all uh, what we well the, the trade term is forcing bulbs but to to get them to grow 
and flower early indoors. Typically, to, to grow bulbs like that indoors, you would what you're doing is is actually you're changing the bulb seasons. So you're simulating winter early to try and get them to flower earlier than they naturally would in the spring. That's basically what forcing means. So, for instance, muscari um, or narcissus, you could grow in a in a pot. You'd plant them normally, water them, and then you'd give them 10 to 12 weeks below 10 degrees, frost-free, but below 10 degrees, typically in the dark. And then um, after that, that, that's for them to form their roots, because if you don't do that right, before the roots are formed, the flower will not flower very well. It will be deformed or weak. Um, so once they form their roots after 10 or 12 weeks, bring them into the warm and the light, and then they're going to flower nice and early, you know, typically December or January. If you get it right, you could have them in flower for. Yeah, I think it is all about the timing, and certainly bringing it in to, you know, cooler conditions first sometimes can hold them back a little bit isn't it especially running up to christmas when we tend to put our you know have the house a lot warmer so if you're trying to to trick your your balls sometimes just uh, manipulating the temperatures a little bit can make all the difference for for flowering um, yeah certainly yeah um thinking about obviously we're we're, we're you know we're recording this um and we're, we're talking for the month of september now and our gardens are ablaze with with the summer bulb colour, I'm thinking lilies, uh, gladioline, of course, uh, uh, dahlias. Any sort of tips on prolonging those displays which you're enjoying now um, so we can get the best from them? I think with gladioli, it's interesting more, not so much now, but when you plant gladioli, if you plant them in waves, so you could have an early planting, a mid-planting, a late planting, you could actually have prolonged flowering period. So that's an interesting thing with with gladioli. Dahlias, of course, will flower right up until the first frosts. If they're in pots, keep them watered. And then once they finish flowering, quite a lot of the summer flowering bulbs aren't fully hardy, so they do need a bit of protection in the winter. So obviously people lift dahlias as well. Um, but certainly if you're not going to lift your bulbs, a mulch in the autumn is, is a very good idea. If they're in pots, just bring them you know close to a house wall or if you've got a shed or a glass house just bring them in bring them in out the out the worst of the winter and then they should come back the next year fine and um, that's yeah that's probably the best thing to do mm, yeah but certainly with the the displays we've been having this year especially with the weather being so so very mixed with uh, our balls of obviously sort of sort of enjoyed it and have been delayed thinking about if there's going to be anything new on the, the bulb horizon for our, our UK growers and gardeners this 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 autumn, any new new varieties or uh, plants we need to be thinking about for 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 twenty twenty two? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we always try and bring bring out I don't know a good twenty or thirty new varieties every year if we can. We've got in daffodils some of our own varieties that we grow here in Holbeach in Lincolnshire. We've got um, High Society, which is a white with a with a sort of peachy cup. That's a nice one. Um, and also in Narcissus, we've got Dream Castle. That's a new one. That's a pure white. Um, one of our from our own production. In the smaller Narcissus, we've got a nice new one called Angel's Whisper, which is a real dainty lemon-coloured one. That's a nice one. Thinking about tulips, new tulips. So we've got lots of. 
we've got a lot of new tulips, actually a lovely pink parrot tulip called Cabana. Um, so the, the parrot tulips, you know, with the frilly edges. Mm. Um, that's a lovely. really nice one. Also a new mascari called Grape Ice. That's a purple flower with a white tip. So that's quite unique for mascari. They're normally blue or sometimes white, but this is a purple one. Mm. So um, that's that's a really interesting one. Camassia sacagawea, that's um, a new Camassia, um, relatively new, but the really interesting thing, it's a white flower, but the really interesting thing about it is it's got beautiful variegated foliage. So when it's coming up, it looks like a, a really nice decorative grass when it's coming up, Ooh. and then you get the white flowers as well. So that's a new one. Probably lastly... Because I could go on for too long about this, but Alia mostara, that's a real star star one. Um, so it, most alliums, as, the, as they flower, the foliage dies back, so they're better for borders um, coming up through herbaceous plants and things like that. But Alia mostara, the foliage stays really nice as it flowers. So and it's quite short flowering alliums, it's only about forty centimeters flowering height. So it's perfect for growing in pots or um you know in gravel or something like that so it's it's a really nice one that that sounds really good actually because i grow quite a few of my alliums in in containers so that'll be on the on the shopping list i'm sure that sounds, yeah. sounds good yeah most bulbs are grown uh, for their flower but there are obviously some which are grown for flower and scent uh Ian, what would be your favorite and um, which you'd probably recommend to our to our podcast listeners certainly highest and I think a, a fantastic, we talked about hyacinths for indoors, but if you put a pot mm. of hyacinths near your back door, the scent is just fantastic. And an, I, personally, I like the scent. It's a really, it's a strong scent, but it's it's a nice scent. Um, and you can get a lot of different color hyacinths from whites and blues to purples and delicate pinks as well. So um, some really nice ones there. And actually tulips as well. There's some really nice scented tulips. Things like we mentioned Angelique earlier, a double, that's got a lovely scent. And quite a few of the peony double tulips can be scented. So nice, delicate scent on those. There's some nice ones. Yeah, on Digit, we like to identify the, the plants which are particularly bee-friendly. Um, so in the world of bulbs, which only ones would you sort of recommend growing for our bees? You mentioned the allium a little bit earlier. Yeah, for sure. All, all of the alliums are definitely um, bee-friendly. We actually put the RHS Perfect Pollinator logo on all of our packs that are relevant. So um, look out for that. Crocus, um, most of the crocus are, um, are bee-friendly and a good source for early spring for the bees. The ones that we have, yeah, Nectroscordum, we mentioned the honey, honey lily. Muscari as well. Um, quite a few of the muscari are, are good for bees. Again, quite early, early um, for the bees, they're good. But, um, yeah, and in the summer flowering bulbs as well, the, the single flowering dahlias are, are very good. We've got a, a trial ground full of dahlias at the moment, and the amount of bees is just ridiculous. Really good, really good to go and see. Oh, that's that's good, good to hear. Um... Okay, we often ask well, we ask our guests um, what particular plant would they grow on their imaginary castaway island, desert island, of course. So, 
Ian, what would be your f- your favourite castaway bulb uh, if you had to choose one, and and, and why? It's got to be a daffodil, hasn't it? From working for a um, for a daffodil grower, it's got to be a daffodil. Yep. I'm not sure how they cope with the sand, though. But um, <laughs> they'd need to need to plenty of water. But yeah, they're going to come back every year then as well. Uh, yeah, nice flowers of daffodil. That would be that would be my favourite. I think that's perfect. That's lovely. Okay, so at this point, we normally ask our guests uh, for a a joke, uh, gardening related. Ian, do you have a, a particular joke for us? Yeah, I've had to put a lot of thought into this one, Chris, but um, what, what okay. did the big flower say to the little flower? I don't know. What did the big flower say to the little flower? What's up, bud? Oh, great. That's, <laughs> that's how we like to end our podcast, on a high. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. It's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, the world of growing bulbs i mean i love growing bulbs I'm, i get really excited at this time of year when i start to see the um, the display starting to fill up and uh, the, those wonderful color color pictures appear i mean it is a bit of a dream factory isn't it i think after the seed companies bulb producers do the best jobs to entice us with those wonderful visuals so it's been, it's been a pleasure and i'm sure a lot of people will be going out there and, and buying not just one or two or maybe more than that packs of bulbs in all shapes colors and sizes to give their spring that extra wow this year thank you very much and uh, thank you for joining us on dig it no problem pleasure thank you i wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high over vales and hills when all at once i saw a crowd a host of golden daffodils beside the lake beneath the trees fluttering and dancing in the breeze oh good old william wordsworth Indeed. It's a lovely poem that really captures your imagination about how mm. daffodils blowing in the wind. Yes. They, they do look lovely, don't they? Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously, William Wordsworth was, was raised up in the Lake District. So it also paints a very attractive picture of Earl's Water and Grasmere, where supposedly that uh, poem was partly uh, originated from. Okay, because most of our daffodils in this country are grown in Cornwall and sort of the Devon, aren't yes, they? Yes, yeah, I think, yeah, going down to, yeah, Cornish uh, daffodils are obviously what we, we tend to see in the supermarkets in the in the early part of the spring. Okay, I suppose because it's a little bit warmer down there, they come yeah. on a little bit earlier. And... Yeah, I think they start their production, is it around about Christmas, isn't it, or just before? Because um, often you get, again, supermarkets tend to capitalise on the fact that, uh, you know, daffodils and Christmas sort of go together, forget the poinsettia, yeah. but, you know, people just like that little bit of fresh, uh, well, it's, yeah, scent nice, and colour. Bright, bright yellow colour, isn't it? Because, yeah, normally you don't think of daffodils of having a great scent but some of the varieties do actually have a good scent don't they indeed yes and yes i think we've got to trace it back to the silly isles where a lot of the original production sort of started i think when we were doing a little bit of research yeah i think 1875 sort of cropped up as a as a a notable date yeah because i think that was when they started sort of shipping them up to london for the Mm. i guess the barrow markets and the Mm. sort of flower markets people in those days a nice 
bunch of yellow flowers would be probably quite nice amongst all the smog and uh, other Indeed. things that the poor Londoners had to endure back then. And I suppose, yes, I suppose, yeah, Covent Garden as it was then was supported by a really good uh, network of, of railways then and obviously yeah. roads. So that was all sort of kicking in. So those flowers could be, you know, cut quite quickly um, and then obviously shipped and uh, and then obviously sold very, very quickly within a probably probably a two or three day span, which, which obviously is probably what happens these days. It's not yeah, not much different, is it? No, I think, like you say, though, speed is of the essence with um, daffodils because they don't last for that long once they've opened as flowers, do they? Maybe uh, so yeah, a couple of weeks or so, but yeah, maximum depending obviously on the temperature you keep them, really, isn't it? And uh, yeah, that's yeah, something we learned, wasn't it? That you no, know, once they're cut, they're then refrigerated quite often these days mm. to keep them from doing anything and keep them at sort of you know, three degrees or so and that just slows everything down and i noticed uh, i mean most of the again the supermarkets when you come to buy your daffodils they're never actually sitting in water they're usually in buckets but they they withhold the water because of course that hastens the whole production of well moisture gets into the flower and of course that opens the flower so they're they're chilled and kept dry so that's the trick, is it? No, don't put them in the water until you're ready. You want them to come out yeah. into flower. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, pl- plenty to, to chat about on the, the whole aspect of growing daffodils. Um, interestingly, we also discovered that, uh, was it the Tamar Double White was yep. the, uh, the variety which is still popular today um, as, as varieties go? Yeah, and uh, as a commercial variety, and you know, like you say, the Tamar Valley is obviously the centre of that. And yeah, there's um, over in Cornwall. Yeah, the the famous Golden Mile, uh, which is just over from St Marshall's Mount, St so, Michael's Mount, St Michael's Mount. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting my countries mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's very famous. That uh, that stretch of land, obviously, the soil must be just perfect for growing them, and obviously now well well known and world famous for the production of early narcissi. Yeah, because it would be interesting to see with Brexit and all the imports and export situations that have been sort of being brought up at the moment. I know, unfortunately, as a garden centre, we're probably not going to be able to export to Northern Ireland next year just because of all the red tape involved. And just you think, I wonder how many other industries like people like the bulb growers, what that's going to do to their market. I suspect it's going to have some major repercussions, isn't it? So the production will be have to be really geared around the, the UK market, which, uh, well, it's, it's, it's an ever-growing market, so hopefully there'll be enough uh, demand to keep them, them to busy. To keep them all busy, yes, definitely. Yep. And then hopefully yep. in the next few years we get the exporting sorted out again so it doesn't have such a huge impact on all the businesses that rely on it. Indeed. It's interesting, wasn't it, Peter, that uh, we were talking about how popular the... the the narcissi is um, obviously 26 different cultivars, varieties from over 56 species. But Carlton is a variety which is synonymous to a particular Cornish uh, breeder. Yes. Yeah. So again, it, it just shows you how the, the how Cornwall has been a major player in the development of narcissi uh, for for commerce. So. And as gardeners, of course, can benefit from Carlton, such a good variety of ones. Obviously, we sell and one you often find, you know, up and down the the garden centre and uh, DIY and supermarket aisles yeah. as we speak. So yeah, I think you're very right there, Chris. And obviously, you know, we 
the the two sides of the industry in a way where the all of the bulbs that are grown for flower cutting or cut flowers should I call them are coming from the southwest and yet the actual commercial growing of them is um, yeah. coming from Lincolnshire and sort yeah, of a bit further north in in slightly colder areas but I mean that's always the way with farming isn't it at the end of the day you get sort of grows down on the south of the country and then you also have growers up in Scotland and places that are a, a little bit later in it so that when the flowers come out in say Scotland it's a, a month or so later than it would be down yep. in Cornwall so it prolongs the production of the of the species so it opens the course, market up a bit more. and it gives us c- consumers a, a longer uh, and more improved uh, enjoyment of, of a particular plant variety isn't it as yeah, well to that, extend exactly that show. that because if you're ever traveling in Holland in spring obviously there's the Kokenhof gardens mm, yes i I, I did visit them, Peter, but I was very, very young, so okay. I, have, I have got photographs, black and white pictures, which don't really show, don't show the colour of it that well, actually. But I was knee-high to a grasshopper, so I can't really remember it, but I do know it was quite close to Amsterdam and in a place called Lys, yep. and it's it was it's a big old place. It, it covers 32 hectares, and it has incredibly 7 million bulbs in bloom Wow. Over that period of time, and I say the period of time. Next year, that's twenty twenty two. It'll be open from the the twenty fourth of March through to the fifteenth of May, um, inclusive. So, that's good brilliant. Time. So I can go for my birthday. You could indeed. I can remember sort of seeing calendars and industry photographs mm. of the bulb growing in Holland, and when you see all the tulips in flower, and it, it, yeah, you get a Incredible. sort of five-acre field just full of red tulips and then yellow ones next to it, and it's just Oh, yeah, those aerial amazing. shots, and especially yeah, now with drones as well, they really do show up. But when you are around Kirkenhof, um, what I do say remember, but what I've seen a lot of photographically, is where they actually create large drifts of colour. So you've okay. got you know individual varieties, so you might have just a particular colour, you know, pink, I don't know, hyacinth, and then you might see this wonderful river of blue muscaria, the great yeah. hyacinth put in there. So things, little, tri- you know, tricks like that you could actually probably create in your own garden if you had the size of garden, which would be quite good. In fact, I'm just thinking about it, Evenly Wood Gardens, just literally down the road from the garden centre, yep. they have a rather nice bulb display in the spring, and they have their own little uh, ravine of uh, blue um, bulb interest. Um, just thinking about it. So, yes, I mean, I'm sure in, in a lot of your local National Trust properties, you'll find particular niche displays of balls, which are obviously quite unique to that particular um, establishment. And, of course, snowdrops are obviously famous. Snowdrop walks are particularly yeah. famous too. So, yeah, because I suppose it's a bit like carpet bedding, where you, if you've got enough space, you can mm. do some phenomenal displays where you take big blocks of colour and yep. sort of yellow tulips or red tulips or something like that. Then I, I guess the timing is also trying to get all the different varieties that you're going to plant to flower at a similar time will give you the biggest impact. Although with the the, the, the idea of using bulbs to sort of give you elongated flowering displays you could start them with maybe sort of snowdrops and then move yeah. into daffodils and then move into sort of more summer based bulbs couldn't you yeah i think with with, with kirkenhoff what's quite good as well um thinking about the visuals they've got a lot of water features there so they've got lots of sort of ravines little rivers and streams and of course it's not a flat piece of land they've actually landscaped it and shaped okay. it so you've got these 
uh, hillocks and bumps and mounds, which of course you could do wonderful displays. Of course, then there's, there's obviously a backdrop of, of wonderful trees, established trees, but they also bring in some nice uh, sort of temporary uh, plantings as well. So it is very artificial. Yep. I use the word artificial in a, in, a, in, a, in a nice way because what you're trying to do is, is give people ideas and inspiration and colour. Yep. Which they can sort of replicate in their own gardens and like uh, whatever space you have with a bulb, you, you can do that. Yeah, because I, I think, I always think tulips look lovely sort of around the edge of a border. I mm. don't know why, they're, they're oh, just gosh, the fact yes. sort of you know, the, the height of them and they're mm. so, such beautiful flowers and sort of upright and colourful and mm. yeah, they, they're one of my favourites. I'm certainly going to have a go at you know, trying to plant some of the Red Riding Hood this year, I think, around the edge of the such garden. Such a good variety, yes. Well, I yeah. like things that come back each year without, I can just yeah. dig them into the ground Indeed. once yeah. and off I go. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I was a bit, that, that question I, I did pose to him was sort of a little bit double-barreled because I am aware that some varieties do better than others. And I think okay. you see, and it is quite important when you're looking at on the bulb, um, on the displays, that it'd be sometimes quite useful to have that extra information to hand as, as, a, as a customer. And I think that's quite important that we make those things. But certainly going for the old varieties, like the Darwins, you, you're onto a really good uh, result for, for future year displays. Most, most yeah, definitely. One thing we mentioned was this, term blind bulbs mm. that are obviously ones that come up that just produce leaves and no flower so one thing with those groups if you say had a blind daffodil mm-hmm. can you feed it whilst it's in foliage and get it to then flower the following year or once they've gone blind is that it are they then useless yeah. I think if it's just the old one or two which are doing that I what I would do is just lift lift the bulb um, and replant it we plant it a little bit deeper than it was originally planted, so right. give it a bit more depth, and obviously improve the soil a little bit uh, around there. And there are proprietary fees now you can get as a mycorrhizal, what I think called bulb boost, which yep. helps to encourage a lot more root systems to form. But sometimes, and uh, I, I know from experience that bulbs, especially daffodils, can sort of move up through the soil and get closer yes. to the soil. Uh, close to, to the, the, to the surface, surface. Yeah, yeah. and of course because that's happening then they're not getting the water they're not getting the nutrients so sometimes just relifting your bulbs and um, sort of lifting Replant your bulbs them. and replanting them gives the plants that new start that they might might require um, but also it's sometimes good to reintroduce some new stock as well okay because what's the sort of lifespan of a bulb a, a daffodil I would have. I see. Most daffodils do reproduce. They do produce little offsets. Because they sort of split, yeah. don't they? they? Split, From yeah. memory, you, yeah. know, you start yeah. with one bulb, and you know, yeah. the next sort of two, three years later, you dig it up, and it's suddenly turned into four or five yeah. little off- so offshoots. So they basically vegetatively propagate themselves in okay. situ. So, given the right conditions, so I think that's quite important that we do feed directly after flowering, and that sort of six-week rule. You know, getting some feed, some granular feed, a high potassium feed sulfate of potash, something like that, around the, the bulb as, as the leaves are starting to die back. Yep. Then all the goodness of those bulbs. And uh, I know you mentioned about knotting. I mean, I, I must admit, to see daffodil bulbs, you know, twisted into <laughs> interesting shapes when you walk past people's gardens does slightly incense me a little bit. I want to go in there and, and reopen them, them up. Yeah. Untie them, yes, yeah, because it, it, it is restricting the sap flow because it, it's only six weeks of, of the plant basically building itself up to give you a really good display the following year. It's not an awful lot to ask. But I think a lot of people use daffodils in, in quite straight sort of displays. They don't mix the bulls with other plants. So that foliage is very obvious. Yep. And I think if you can 
be careful with your plants, but use lots of herbaceous plants, lots of ground cover plants where the leaves can then sort of disappear. Take over, yeah, don't, I think the, uh, that, that, that sort of helps, doesn't it? Visually, anyway, and it yeah, doesn't look such yeah. a problem to our to our uh, focal site. Yeah, because yeah, I think, thinking about that a bit more, you've got lots of places that use, say, daffodils and things like that, and maybe a grass bank or something mm. like that. They do look a bit untidy after yeah. they've finished flowering, and I can understand people wanting to mow them down. So. But, but naturalising bulbs is, is really quite quite good. I mean, you can naturalise not, not only with uh, daffodils, but, uh, I mean, I've seen crocus. I have got a, a neighbour uh, quite close to where I live actually naturalised snowdrops into his front lawn okay. and every year uh, about the third week in february his lawn is white with snowdrops oh. it looks yeah it looks amazing um and you know it's obviously something he likes to do uh, it doesn't then the lawn doesn't get cut until well into march but every year year in year out you get that sort of repeat display um, if you've got plenty of space with with uh, larger amounts of uh, land, if you've got a bit of a meadow, you know, you want to create a nice meadow effect, then camassias are a, a bulb we sell, yep. and they look really stately. And I remember seeing many years ago when we had a chance to go to Highgrove Gardens, which we've mentioned on the other podcasts, yeah, yeah. Um, they look amazing. Camassias getting to sort of knee-high, uh, planted en masse, not, yep. not cheap, going to be quite expensive. However, wow, the effect is, is something to savor excellent isn't it well maybe we'll start saving up and see if we can put a display together then yeah <laughs> so in the news this week chris we've got bulb of the year awards yes so two bulbs for our for our podcast listeners to, to look out for when they're visiting garden centers first of all is the narcissi of the year which is the variety fortune Okay, and um, what sort of colour is that? So it's a, it's a yellow, it's a, it's a slight bicolour, so um, I've never, it's certainly got a nice strong yellow with a sort of paler centre to it, really, yeah, really nice. It's been around for a long time, it's a, a good tried and tested Excellent. variety. good solid variety. Yeah, and uh, more, more insight, excitingly, we've got Bulb of the Year for 2022. Okay, well So, that? and that this year is going to be Anemone Blander Blue. Okay. So anemone blanders. Now we're talking about what how bulbs are so very different to look at. Uh, have you yeah. come across any anemones in your yeah, yeah. planting? Um, yeah, they're really lovely. different, aren't they? But the bulbs are really weird. They're very odd, and you, they're quite small. And I grew them for the first time a couple of years ago, and I I followed the instructions quite carefully. I actually soaked them for yeah probably twenty thirty minutes before right. I planted them just to plump them up yeah. because they sort of dry out. And then I planted them. Actually, in containers, I used them in, in some window boxes, and they were magnificent. They did look really good. So look out for an enemy blander blue uh, okay. as the bulb of the year for, for 2022. And what sort of length of flowering are they going to give us? Yeah, they're, well, Fortune and uh, the Narcissi, that's going to give you probably a good probably three or four weeks of colour. Bear in mind they're in flower when the temperatures are quite cool. Yep. So that should prolong, you know, they're, and they're quite a short narcissi they're probably up to knee height so they're not, okay. not particularly large and then of course anemones uh, i think they call them the windflower don't they so they're quite yeah. low growing they're almost like a ground cover plant when mm. you see anemones so they sh- i mean they should flower for at least th- three to four weeks too if, you, if you're lucky excellent okay we're, no, we're talking earlier about lasagna planting mm. chris weren't we yes so um what can you tell us? Uh, you, you're doing. Um, you're going to teach us or run a class, aren't you, soon? Indeed, yeah. We're, we're doing at the garden centre a uh, part of our master class. Uh, it's kicking off the new season of master classes, and we're getting creative with bulbs. Brilliant. 
And in that, we're going to be doing some lasagna planting uh, using spring bulbs. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we usually I usually go to quite a reasonable layerage, shall we say. Okay, so how many can we sort of get in a, a tub? Yeah, I mean, generally, three layers is, is good. Okay. Five Brilliant. layers is adventurous. Yeah. Many years ago, I, when, I, when I went on holiday, I, I was watching some um, TV. It was actually in the States. Yeah. And there was a chap there doing a lasagna planting, and it was over 20 layers. Gosh. And I, was, I had to do a double take. I thought this was it was very horticultural. The program was very serious. But obviously, in that part of the States, they had some very cold winters. Right. So they, were, they had to use the, the, um, the insulating properties of the soil to grow a lot of the bulbs. Okay. So it actually worked well. Um, he already did say was that the flower display was um, obviously the, the, the bulls. Once the temperature hit a certain level, all the bulls wanted to go out and, and flower and play. Yep. Um, so you probably didn't get the longevity which you would get from perhaps a, a more cool European climate. Okay, because yeah, I love the idea of having winter violas on the top and just sort of pootling around over Christmas to give you a little bit of sort of cover and protection of the the bulbs, and then as spring comes up, you've got this great length of flowering coming out of just a, a, a couple of pots that you've done. It's a really good idea. And you know, Peter, how many times I I I, I try to remember what I've put in, I always forget, and that's the surprise element. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah. So generally, I mean, you could go. I mean, the, the usual, the safest options usually is go for the uh, the crocus on the top layer, yep. and then the uh, the narcissi, and then the tulips. Okay, because uh, obviously the tulips are the the last to flower, so they they have to take their time pushing through between all the soils. And it's also a misnomer about the fact that you know you should, like he pointed out quite rightly, it doesn't really matter if they're the the bulbs on its side or whatever way it up what is important is that you do allow a little bit of space so the plants can push through each other so your density needs to be rationalized quite quite well so you'll allow a bit of bit of space otherwise you just get a, a massive root and any plants you're trying to grow at the top will, will probably struggle a little bit but uh, but eventually if you've got crocuses through to tulips you're going to have what are we thinking sort of january february through to april may, april, may really yeah. isn't it so that's a really long period and then once they're finished obviously the the summer bedding will be out in the garden centers by that point so you so, can then replace it all and have we around what, what I do with my uh, my couple of lasagna pots, which I do, I, I once they've they've done their thing, I then move them. I put them in a, a quiet area of the garden so that they can naturally die down. Yep. I feed that container, and I usually get at least two seasons of, of flower from from those bulbs. Um, you know, I probably won't push a third year, but then I then obviously would then uh, dismantle and put the bulbs into the garden. So it's everything is upcycled. You're yep. not wasting anything, which is which is good as well in the garden these days. Oh, definitely, and then you can start uh, some nice new displays, and with a new range of plants, and uh, be inspired by the likes of, of tailors to to put some some nice new varieties in. Brilliant! Thanks for that, Chris. I've really enjoyed learning about this lasagna idea, and I think I might give it a go this year. Please do. And our next show in a couple of weeks' time is what to do in October. Yes, plenty to look forward to. Nearly into winter. Not quite, though. No, please not. <laughs> yeah. The clocks have got to change before then. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, 
We want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives, from parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk